Okay, so this may sound braggy, but you're going to love today's interview on the Isle of Misfits. I know, that's so out of character for me to make such a bold and audacious statement, but I make it unapologetically because I know you're going to love today's guest. She's all about owning who she is and making peace, not just with herself, but with the world around her. And I think that's something we can all use a little more of. So that's what I mean. So go ahead, gather a few of your peace-loving friends, and keep listening. Welcome to the Isle of Misfits. I am your host, Nancy Carmichael, and today we want to roll out the red carpet for our very special guest. She's a fellow podcaster. Oh, and so much more. In fact, the more includes things like urban missionary, pastor's wife, mother of three, economic justice advocate, and peacemaker. In fact, that's what she's here to talk with us about today. Her name is Oshita Moore, and she literally wrote the book, well, at least a book, called Shalom (laughs) Sisters, Living Wholeheartedly in a Brokenhearted World. We are so glad to have you with us today, Oshita. Oh, I'm so glad to be here among the misfits. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, and I love that you, you're you already resonating with our little misfit theme because, you know, um, <laughs> I've said this before, I'll say it again, you know, we all have a little weirdo in us, and that's <laughs> that's that's a good thing because we're all wired differently, and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We all have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. So... I just want to jump right in with you. I, you know, I've learned a little bit about you, but I want to know more. So I want to hear your story. So we're, I'm going to give you a jumping point, but you can choose it or you can choose your own. I want to back up to the year 2005 um, when a pretty okay. big event impacted your life. So tell us what you were doing prior to that event and then and what happened and how it, how it kind of shaped you. Yes. Okay. So my husband and I were living in New Orleans and, and, uh, 2005. We'd been there for a few years because we met on a mission trip during Mardi Gras um, to do work in the urban core of New Orleans. So the school that my husband, the Bible college my husband went to really pride themselves on practical hands-on ministry in the urban core. I went as a young, fresh-faced, idealistic young adult, gave up my spring break to go, you know, seek the the peace of New Orleans during a really terrible time, Mardi Gras. Oh, that's and, serious when you're giving uh, up spring break. Exactly. Uh. And I there met my husband. We fell in love. We had this shared value of um, seeking the shalom of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And we got mm-hmm. that language because uh, from an urban ministry guru, like a you know, well-known person in this field, gave, spoke a sermon to our group. And he basically was hearkening back to Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah says, Seek the peace of your city, seek the peace and prosperity of your city, for if it prospers, so you you too will prosper. And he was basically telling us, seek the shalom of the city. So Mm -hmm. this city that you're in right now, God has brought you to, seek the shalom of it. You will be peacemakers if you seek the shalom of the city. And for me, I've always been a little um, hesitant with the idea or the word of peacemaker in the Bible, Mm -hmm. because I am not your typical peacemaker. I'm not quiet and passive. Um, I don't avoid conflict at all costs. I mm-hmm. actually think there's something good in dealing with, you know, hurt feelings and conflict. I think that's important. So I didn't have the disposition of a peacemaker. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a misfit there. I'm a little bit quirky. Mm-hmm. I have a quirkiness around that. Interesting. So I didn't fit into that. Exactly. So I didn't fit into that ideal picture of a quiet, zen peacemaker, right? But then I'm at this conference. I'm at this this uh, workshop and I'm hearing that I can be a peacemaker if I just do the right thing. 
if I just fit into the mold of Peacemaker by doing the work of peacemaking, moving into the city, seeking its revitalization, using the gifts that I have to make it a better place, um, I could be a peacemaker. And I really latched on to that, Nancy. It was, it, for me, it was freeing, but I would soon find out it was actually most constraining because I did not fit in. And then, um, well, I fit in as long as I was doing the work, but then Katrina happened. Mm. So as we all know, Hurricane Katrina is one of the most costliest natural disasters in U.S. history. Billions and billions of dollars worth of damage. And the community we lived in, Holly Grove, was submerged under 10 feet of water. So then what do I do then? Like, I I can't do the work of peacemaking because we had to evacuate. We had a three-year-old, and I was eight months pregnant with our second boy. We had to evacuate New Orleans. And so I was stripped of the work of being a peacemaker and I natu- I knew that I naturally didn't fit into the disposition of a peacemaker and so here I was sitting feeling left out and feeling like I didn't quite fit in but you know right after the storm we were a bit in crisis mode survival mode I told my husband I don't care where we have this baby I just need an epidural and a, th- and a doctor with a steady hand <laughs> so it's we the simple things out. in life really exactly exactly in, 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 in honesty, we were trying to figure out what was next, and my husband got an incredible opportunity to go to seminary in Boston, and that's where we landed. And so where the book picks up, it's the, the, um, it picks up the, at the very beginning where we realized we lost everything, and it moves through in the first section of um, how I realized that we were not going to be going back to New Orleans, and that became apparent when my husband asked me if we could stay in Boston after he finished seminary some some opportunities were coming up for him, and we, it did not look like we were moving back to New Orleans. And so here I was, somebody that felt like an outsider in a lot of ways. Now mm-hmm. I wasn't, I valued the teachings of Jesus. I love calling him my Prince of Peace. I think there's a value of seeking shalom, which I say is God's dream for the world as it should be nothing broken, nothing missing, everything made whole and flourishing. I think mm-hmm. there's a value there, but I couldn't find my entry point. And so one night, after a really stressful bedtime routine with my kids, I had a Cheeto binge. There was Cheeto dust on my forehead. I was really, really angry with God. And my husband had just asked me if we can stay. And this was right before the season of Lent on the, in the church calendar, where we let go of something that we've been holding on to, um, that we've, it, we've uh, get, gotten a sense of identity from or a sense of worth from. We let go of it over the season of Lent in order to lay hold of something better. And I was giving, getting so much of my sense of rightness and fitting in an identity from being mm-hmm. a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. So that Lent, I let go of it and decided to study every instance of peace in the Bible. And as I studied every instance of peace, I found that that Hebraic uh, concept of shalom, that Hebraic concept, was so much more than just seeking peace in one city or doing the actual work of peacemaking, which is important, valid work. But it's this idea of living your life wholeheartedly, even in broken-hearted spaces. And so at the end of that 40 days of peace, I owned my identity, um, and I decided to start calling myself a Shalom sister. I owned mm-hmm. that awkwardness because mm-hmm. I love the concept of Shalom. I love the idea that I am part of God's family. I know that I have, you know, I know I'm like Southern, and so when I say sister, <laughs> it comes out sister. I know I'm sassy. And so I just I created that identity for myself as a shalom sister, a woman who is seeking the peace of, of every instance in my life and every moment as my full self, owning all parts of myself and loving the way that I'm. I love it. A sassy shalom sister. That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, I like to say that a shalom sister is somebody who follows Jesus as her prince of peace, 
loves people but never gives up her staff. Oh, you know, and I, I want to back up to something you said a moment ago about living your life wholeheartedly. So here you are, like you're this person. They say, you know, you're not the you're not the placid, passive person. You're you're you want to get in there. So so how in this study of the word shalom, how did you reckon that? Okay, so it doesn't fit my personality per se. And yet Mm -hmm. this is for me because I can live wholeheartedly and that's what it means to live at peace. So how did, how did you reckon that? What was that process like? Yeah, that process for me started with thinking about Shalom um, as multifaceted, multidirectional. And so I think a lot of times we think of peace as a very on the surface, very one note kind of state of being um, or one note way of living our life. Like we are Mm -hmm. peaceful people and this looks a certain way. Mm Mm-hmm. But for me, I had to start thinking about, well, what, because Shalom is a much richer, deeper um, concept. It's, it's God's dream for the world, and the world is big and vast and wide and diverse and colorful. And there's so many moving pieces. And so the idea of just like this one note of mm-hmm. peace just mm-hmm. didn't resonate or reconcile with this idea of Shalom that I had learned. And so I started thinking about Shalom as, as multidirectional. So what does it look like for me to live wholeheartedly in my relationship with God. And in that, as I worked through my relationship with God, I started to see that God is good and that God loves me and that he didn't make a mistake in the way that he made me. Mm-hmm. He, he actually chuckled at some of my quirkier jokes. And he, he's actually really delighted with the ways that I live out my life um, that are in line with my personality because he gave me that personality. And so starting to see God as a good creator, a creative mm-hmm. God who really loves me and delights in me, that was important. And so I started thinking about shalom first between us and God. How do I seek wholeness and peace between me and God in the way that he made me? And say, Mm. you are good, you made me good, and you have called me on this good mission to seek the peace of the world around me. Then I started thinking about shalom within myself. So what are the things that even though, like, I know God is good, I know he's called me into this, what are the things that I, I always struggle with within myself that keep me from living wholeheartedly in the relationships that I have in the world? Mm-hmm. So things like identity or things like beauty or things like, you know, overworking and getting my sense of worth from my work. And so I started thinking about shalom and wholeness there. And once I, once those two pieces I found kind of clicked into place, I trusted God was good. He made me good. And I, and I started to own the goodness and, and, and actually love myself. Once those two things clicked into place, I didn't measure myself by somebody, someone else's standard of peacemaking or, or the way that they're living out shalom. I really focused in on, like, how is God asking me to live out shalom? And that's what fueled me in thinking about wholeness in my relationship with others. So that's the third area. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I seek wholeness and flourishing in the, in the relationships that I have with my coworkers, my husband, my children, my, my kids' teachers, the lady who checks me out at Walmart? And then how do I think about shalom or wholeness or flourishing in the systems of the world? So, you know, things about the, like the conversation around race or when there's brokenness in our churches or when there's brokenness in the environment. Like how do I, what's my responsibility of seeking God's very best good in those arenas? For me, Nancy, it was really getting those two pieces between us and God and within myself that helped me own my, you know, particular brand of, you know, awkwardness, quirkiness, identity help yes. me own that, and then really help me see where I fit into God's big dream of making the world right again. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, you started out by saying you you were doing this work of being a peacemaker, kind of like following, you know, doing good work, following, you know, maybe steps or, or principles, and 
practicing all that. Um, but what I'm hearing you say, and it really excites me, especially given what our core values are here, that it's not so much about how to, but it's about who. Who is God? Mm-hmm. Who did he make mm-hmm. me? Who, you know, and then until we settle those issues, how can we, if we're not at peace with ourselves and our maker, how can we possibly live at peace with our neighbor or our enemy or, you know, or the stranger next door or whatever. I love how, how this process has, how you've defined it, because Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's right on because we're not all, we're not all one note. We're not supposed to be. God created us uniquely for a purpose because I can't, I can't do it all myself. And if I could, it would be a very boring world and it would be a scary (laughs) world because you wouldn't want a bunch of me, you know? Um, So I, I love that. So I do want to ask you, though, going back to New Orleans, how long were you there, by the way? We were in New Orleans for four years. We were in New Orleans for four years before Katrina happened. Okay. So what did you learn from your experience in New Orleans that you took with you to Boston and and beyond? Okay, lots of things. (laughs) One, I, I, I did learn to hear stories that were different than mine and find value in those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think before I went into work in the urban core, I had this, you know, I had a bunch of narratives about why people end up in those circumstances or why people do things the way they do when they're in poverty. Um, my husband used to be a gang member, and so one of his uh, huge values when we were in New Orleans was creating an entrepreneurship program, ex-gang members or kids who want to get out of, the, out of gangs, sort of an on-ramp of way of making money because what we found was like, there are two reasons why kids were going into the gang life. One was that identity and, and sense of community and family because they didn't have it at home. So we tried to com- create that at the community center and out of our own home. And then two, mm-hmm. because they, they couldn't afford to live, their parents, they, they, mm-hmm. there was a lack of resources. And so right. they were selling drugs just to be able to put you know, food on their family's table as a 13, 12, 11-year-old. And so... Mm-hmm. Being in New Orleans helped me um, value the stories of others and value the different experiences that other that people have and, and to recognize that we don't come to hard decisions lightly, that people make hard decisions for the most part, and there's a lot of thought behind it, and they just do, people are doing the best that they can. So it gave me a grace and empathy for people that I don't agree with or that mm. make choices that I don't agree with. Oh, the other boy. thing that I picked up, the other thing that I picked up in New Orleans was um, this really cool realization that the things that I have learned, the things that I've experienced, the things that I'm good at are actually can be useful to other people, um, non-traditional things. Like I was a dance major in college. I studied dance. Uh, and for me, I, I, I had this idea before we, uh, before we moved to New Orleans. I had this idea that I was going to go to college, graduate from college, move back to my hometown in southeast Texas, become an elementary school teacher, and then also teach the drill team at, in the evenings because I was on drill team when, yeah, I was so you, in, when I was in high school. So you had it all figured so, out. I had it all planned out, you know, the mm-hmm. traditional, you know, southern girl trajectory. But so I studied dance. But then in New Orleans, I started teaching dance to the girls at the community center. It gave them something to do. It gave them that community piece that they needed. But then it also showed me that um, these girls really wanted to be able to value their bodies, and they needed a space and opportunity to value their bodies. And for me, teaching them dance gave them that that language and that uh, that value and that identity. And so oh, yeah. just knowing that the things, yeah, and just so knowing the things that I 
knowing that everything that I brought to that community center, even though it felt so kind of superfluous, like, what am I going to do, teach them ballet? And none of these girls are going to go on to be, just knowing that I brought that and it was a value to them, that was important. So the last thing I, I took from New Orleans was I started making red beans and rice every Monday. <laughs> In New Orleans, there's this tradition that you make red beans and rice on Mondays and you do your laundry. And, um, and it's just one of these little bit cool kind of fun culture pieces that connects you with people in your community and, and the, you all kind of, it's like the shared experience. It's, it's really practical. It's really delicious. Red beans and rice are really easy to make. But I started making that. And even now here in L.A. where I live, I make red beans and rice every Monday. And so I use that picture. I use that, like, the part that I, I carried, that, that culture piece of New Orleans with me everywhere I go. I use that as a metaphor throughout the book that, we carry the culture of the kingdom of God. Shalom is the culture of the kingdom of God. And in and, and heaven, everything is flourishing. Nothing is broken. Nothing mm-hmm. is missing. Everything is whole. So when we, when we live out shalom in our lives in the ways that God made us, when we are living out shalom, we're actually, we're actually sharing a piece of the culture of the kingdom of God right here on earth. The same mm-hmm. way that when I make red beans and rice on Mondays, I'm carrying that, piece, that culture piece of New Orleans with me. And so those are the things that I learned when we were in New Orleans. I love it. I love it. Not a thing goes to waste in the kingdom of God. Like you're saying, all this people's stories, being able to think out of the box. And, you know, like you said, using your dance, who would have thought that, that God would have used your, your love and your talent for dancing to help young women, you know, who maybe never would have been exposed to, to that kind of dance or, or, or just the, the life lessons and, and the healing that comes from that. That's amazing. And then uh, I want to talk about this red beans and rice thing, okay? Because um, my husband's, he, yeah, he's a big fan. I understand you have at least one recipe in this book, and that is one of them. Am I am I yes. right about this? Yes. Yeah. I, there's a little segment of I call them shalom recipes, which are recipes that are very easy to make our own. And nice. uh, red beans and rice is one of those. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it, people. If you want to get the real deal, it's in there. And so, so much more. So, and speaking of things that are in your book, there's another section of your book, and I want I want to hear a little bit about that, if you don't mind uh, expanding on you. You have what you call the Shalom System Manifesto. Tell us about oh. that. Yeah. So, like we were talking about earlier, Nancy. For me, I started thinking of Shalom in four different directions. But um, one of the things that bothers me the most is when I get when I understand a really great concept, a big concept, but then I have no entry point. Like, I have no way of, like, making it real for my actual everyday life. Like, when I go to the grocery store this evening, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in that very normal, normal action? Mm-hmm. So, I saw, so I created the Shalom System Manifesto, which are 12 guide points um, that I go back to when I enter into one of these, when I'm, in, when I'm thinking about Shalom in one of these directions. So, I have uh, four manifesto points when I think about wholeness between us and God. I have four manifesto points for within myself. Four for when I am interacting with people in my life and my my immediate sphere of influence, and the four for when I'm thinking about seeking shalom in systems or out in the world. And so they they cover things from we are invited. God has invited us just the way we are um, to come with Him on this journey of peacemaking to create where that we are uniquely placed and we're uniquely gifted to see mm-hmm. flourishing in our lives. And the God didn't make a mistake in the way that he made us. Um, we are enough and we are beloved. And there are things like we will see the beauty. Um, we, there, we will rest. Um, we will practice subversive joy. So this idea that we don't subversive give in to despair. We don't, 
Yeah, we don't I love that term. So first of all, I know it's, it's like, you know, it's a, joy can be a weapon against all the things that want to drag us under. And I think right now in our culture, in our, in our country, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. So then what does it mean for us to use joy as a weapon? There's things like, um, we will, like I said, we will see the beauty. We will tell better stories. We will choose ordinary acts of peace. We will be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. But every time I enter into one of these situations and I notice that there's a brokenness, if I'm noticing there's a brokenness between me and God, like there's just a disconnect, I stop and think about which of the manifesto points do I need mm. to think about and do I need to pray through and lean into to help me live wholeheartedly. Mm. Um, and, and I love that that's so practical. That's, that's not like this ethereal, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know yeah. what to do, but yeah, to, to be able to gauge that. Um, and again, going back to, all right, is, is this about my view of God and how he made me? Or is this how I view myself? Is this how I'm viewing others? So I, I love that. And isn't it great that we don't have to try to be somebody else in order to achieve this? In fact, that's a sure way not to achieve it is to try to be our idea of what the world thinks we're supposed to be. Oh, it's totally great. You know, like when we think about Jesus and the disciples, I mean, we think about the characters <laughs> of the 12, the different type of different personality types, the different passions, the things that, that drove them, the different stories that brought them to even following Jesus. To begin with, I mean, like your podcast is for misfits. Jesus assembled 12 misfits to, to work alongside him to change exactly. the world. Exactly. And so, you know, if, if Jesus did it with the disciples and, and look at where the church is now, look at how it's flourished, I think, I think the Holy Spirit can do the same with us right where we are. Oh, he absolutely can. And that's, that is my great hope is that we're, we are here for a purpose, like you said. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think half the, half the fun and half the struggle is discovering that purpose. Um, but that's, that is the, to me, that's the ground floor of everything that you're talking about. And it's, there's a wonderful irony too, because in discovering our purpose, it's really not about, it's not a, you know, like a self-absorption because Jesus said, you know, when you seek to save your life, you lose it. But when you lose your life for my sake, you find it. So it's, I find that the more I allow God to work his purpose through my life, the less I'm actually thinking about myself in a, you know, in a self-conscious, self-obsessed way. And the more myself I can become, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, it makes total sense because I think the motivation behind it is owning yourself, learning to love yourself. And I think once we really love who God made us to be, that overflowing gratitude prevents us from being self-centered. It actually spurs us on to want to create spaces for people to learn to love themselves, just like this podcast. So I think that you're right. There's an irony to it, but it's a beautiful irony. Right, right. So, so Oshita, tell us, I, I, there's, there's a whole other, I mean, there's so many other things we could talk about, um, but one of one of your passions, I know, um, and we've, we've kind of touched on this, we just haven't said the word, is racial reconciliation. And obviously that's a mm-hmm. real hot button in our culture today. And it's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm in my bubble, you're in your bubble. And, you know, we, we kind of want to stay in our bubbles because at least our bubble is familiar, even if it's dysfunctional. I know my dysfunction. So how, how, do, how do we get out of our bubbles and, and start to mm. break some of this tension down? Well, this is interesting because I was just thinking about this. On my podcast, I have a co-host. Her name is Abby Perry, and she and I have a regular conversation once a month on race and justice mm-hmm. and how are we peacemakers around with this conversation with race. And we really try to model as a black woman and a white woman. We talk about one issue, and I talk about my perspective and what I experience and how I feel, and she talks about her perspective and her experience, how she feels, and we offer resources, and we offer shalom steps, which are practical next steps for 
entering in. And so for me, that has been really life-giving, but I think that that came out of this desire of, I'm in my bubble, but I want to have an honest conversation with somebody and in a safe space. I think Mm. the thing that keeps us in our bubbles is that we're so afraid Mm. of being misunderstood. We're so afraid of the conflict that comes out of it. Um, And so one of the things that I like to say is peace is fierce. Because it has to be, because violence and discord won't go down without a fight. And so we have to, we have, to have this fierceness and this courage with our, with our practices of peace that say, I'm going to enter into this space, and I might cry, mm. and I might say the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. But, and I, but I'm going to trust the other person, and I'm, go- and I'm going to be honest with them. Like, I'm scared to enter in this space, but I'm going to trust that we're going to hear the best of each other. And so I think for those of us trying to figure out what the next step is to be prayerfully seeking spaces where you can get to know somebody that is different than you. And it may, that white to black jump feels really hard for some of us right now. So maybe you need to think about who is the one person that is outside of my empathy? Is it the soccer mom who has everything right? Maybe a a beginning practice of, of peace and moving towards reconciliation is seeking reconciliation with that person. And as you see that there's the, 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 good, the, the good that comes out of that, as you see like, okay, your shalom muscles are strengthened in that one act of reconciliation. Maybe you can move forward and closer if the, race, the black and white race um, divide feels too big. Also, in that time that you were actively practicing peacemaking with somebody who's right outside of your entity, if you can't find somebody, a, a, a safe person, like for me, a safe white person, or for you, maybe a safe black person. If you can't find that, start reading from, you know, from black people or, mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. who have different perspectives than you. Start reading their stories. Because like I said, in New Orleans, my empathy grew as I started hearing other people's perspectives. So yes. I, one of the things that I do is I make a practice to actually spend time reading the Twitter feeds, reading articles from people that I know from the outset I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But I do that as a practice of humility, saying that, like I, like I said earlier, people don't come to these hard decisions. People don't have these strong opinions in a vacuum. Something happened to get them there. So I, I spend time letting my empathy grow for them, learning from them, so that when I do have a conversation with somebody who holds that opinion, I'm not immediately jumping in to like prove that I'm right or prove how wrong they are or moving in to listen. And that for me, Nancy, is the foundation of how we're going to, or that's the main motivation of how we're going to get past all of this strife is that we need to become better listeners. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I yeah. could not agree more. And as I say that, as I talk over you, um, yeah, sometimes I listen no, by okay. talking, <laughs> but, but, oh yeah. I mean, the, it goes back to what you talked about earlier, that stories, one of the things you learned uh, in New Orleans, how important it is to know people's stories, because until you know where someone's come from, you you cannot make a fair assessment. There's no way, you know, and uh, I'll tell you, in my experience, what I found is, you know, what? I might even have friends that look different than me, that have different skin colors or, or whatever, but if they think exactly like me, that's not diversity either. So I love what you said. It's, you know, just be intentional about putting yourself in a position. And I know you have to be careful and be safe. And, you know, because I am, I'm going to end up saying something stupid. I'll raise my hand first. But um, to expose yourself to people who don't think exactly the way you do. And uh-huh. I think that's yeah. whatever their skin color is. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's an important piece to this too. But yes, listening, listening and learning. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and with the uh, with the book and with the podcast, we have this Facebook group called the Shalom Just a Facebook Hangout, um, and it's it's a place where we actively practice peacemaking and listening to each other on a host of different things. But whenever Abby and I put up an episode on race and justice, we're always moderating that conversation. We're always listening and and pulling more resources, and we've all committed to be really awesome and kind to each other in that group. Mm. So it's a group about I think we're sitting at like two hundred. 250 women but um so i mean that's a great place if you just want to lean back and listen in uh, i love that is that an open group a variety of places it's a facebook group so all you have to do is look up um shalom sisters facebook hangout okay but with an a and just all you have to do is request to be added and one of the admins will add Oh, I think that's a great opportunity to practice some of these things that we're talking about. Um, and Oshida, I, I want to just hear, you've been talking a little bit about your podcast. What is the name of your podcast? It's the same name as the book, Shalom Sisters. Okay. So, so very easy to find. It used to be called Shalom in the City, but everybody was, when they were sharing it, they were sharing it as the Shalom Sister uh, podcast. And so I said, we will just go with what the people want. So it's Shalom Sisters. Love it. So we can look you up on iTunes? iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, which is my favorite of the apps. So anywhere where anywhere where you get your podcast, you can find Shalom Sisters. All right. Well, I can't wait to look you up. And uh, let's talk about your book. How can people get your book? You can grab my book at um, the best place to grab it would probably be Amazon right now. I mean, know that some Barnes & Noble uh, local stores are carrying it, which is so exciting. Um, and you can also grab it on barnesandnoble.com or Christian Books Distributors. So wherever you get your books, you can find Shalom Sisters. But I think the easiest place I mean, because of Prime is Amazon. Love it. Okay. And besides the Facebook group that you were talking about, is if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, do you have a website or some way that people could get in touch with you? Yeah. So the best place to reach me would be shalominthecity.com. And that's where that's sort of the landing pad for all, all of my thoughts and uh, places where I explore the idea of Shalom. So the podcast, the blog, where you can reach out to me for speaking or where you can send me a direct message is on shalominthecity.com. Love it. Oshida, thank you so much. I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm saying oh and Oshida. Blending into the one. It's so funny. People use that 80s song, Oshila, to remember my name. Oh, <laughs> Oshila. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have had the chance to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Um, thanks for joining us, Ms. Fitz and um, giving us a lot to think about and some practical stuff. So I, I hope I hope many people get this book. I hope that you're, um, what you're doing is just blessed beyond even what you could imagine. And you are welcome back on the Isle of Misfits anytime. Oh, I will take you up on that. It's been such a pleasure, Nancy. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you. God bless you. God bless you too. So I have to tell you, I requested to join the Shalom Sisters Facebook group and they actually accepted me. And she's not kidding. It's a safe place, to be honest. And there's kindness and real depth among the people there. So that's a great way to connect with her. You can also get in touch with Oshida on her website, shalominthecity.com. And while you're there, you might as well pick up a copy of her book, which I highly recommend. Now, all this month, we'll be entering names for the next random drawing of random awesomeness, including books from authors featured right here throughout November. Plus several other awesomely random or randomly awesome take your pick items 
And all you have to do is subscribe or share these podcasts and let me know, or really just interact with me on the Isle of Misfits.com. I love interaction. That's I S L E of Misfits.com. I'll look forward to hearing from you. And until then, my friend, own that beautiful awkward of yours and love those beautiful misfits out there.